So before we dive into the word, I want to just take a few minutes to share a little bit about my story, guys. So um, something about me is I grew up in Long Island, New York, and I grew up Lutheran. What that meant to me is that I went to church on Sunday mornings. I believed in God. I believed in Jesus. I knew some Bible stories. It didn't change my life at all. Every Sunday I would go, and I kind of went with the mindset that you go on Sunday, you have your sin forgiven, you do whatever you want all week long, and you come back on Sunday. And then something happened in my life. When I was about your guy's age, I was 18 years old, and one of my best friends died of cancer. He was 17 our senior year of high school. So fast forward from that moment, which you could imagine that had a big impact on my life, I went away to college, York, Pennsylvania. Not a born-again Christian. I was a Lutheran, fair weather, just went to church on Sunday, had my sin forgiven, and do whatever else the rest of the week. So freshman year of college, guys, I was in a dorm. You guys, some of you will be getting ready to do this. You're going to go away to college. If you stay uh, at school, you'll be in a dorm, and there's resident assistants. That's somebody on your floor that kind of helps you. When you first get there, they're usually a year or two older than you. They've been at school already. They kind of do activities. They help remind you about the, the, the rules, and they plan fun things for you. So while I was at school, I did what any um, freshman would be doing. Instead of doing my work, I was talking to an online psychic in my dorm room. And I was actually asking her about my buddy Adam. Adam was my buddy that died. And she told me that he was in purgatory. So that led me to have more questions than answers. So I told you about the RA. There's also somebody called an RD, residential director. So he's just a couple years older than me. He's in charge of the whole dorm. But something about him, his name's Steve Pappas, what I noticed is he lived different. He lived a different life. The way that he treated people, he would apologize to me if he thought he did something wrong. To set a good example, I heard him say Jesus in public. So I was like, all right, I'm going to go ask my buddy Steve Pappas what's purgatory and what's going on with it. So I went freshman year to ask my buddy Steve, hey, what's purgatory? So he explained to me that that was like a Catholic theology that would basically say that um, this is a place that you go when all your sins have not been forgiven. He said, hey, Brian, that is not in the Bible, and the Bible teaches that Jesus paid the price for all our sins. He didn't stop there. So in addition to being a good example, Steve was bold. He could get in trouble for sharing faith-type things with me, and what Steve asked me, he said, hey, Brian, um, what do you think you need to do to go to heaven? So the answer that I'm sure most of you get, what do you think the answer was? Someone said that. Be a good person. Yep. So luckily he was bold. He said, hey, Brian, nobody's good enough to go to heaven. And he explained to me about sin and how sin separates us from God and how Jesus came to live the perfect life and to lay his life down, to pay the price for our sins, and on the third day to be resurrected. He went into great detail. I still remember something Steve said that night. It was the first time I ever heard anything like this. Steve said, hey, Brian, if you were the only person alive, Jesus still would have came and willingly went to the cross to die for your sins. So that night, I professed faith in Jesus. I accepted the gospel. Uh, I was so thankful he shared. This is the part of the story that I don't like. I wish that my life was changed and I lived from Jesus from that point forward. That's not my story. My story is about the next 10 years, I live one foot in the world and one foot with Jesus. What that looked like is I believed biblical teaching when I heard people teaching about the Bible, like actually teaching the word. I believed it. I heard it. I could, hear, I could hear God's voice. I heard it from Jesus. But what it also meant is that I chased after all the earthly pleasures that there were. And I share that with you because I was 18 before I placed faith in Jesus. And for the next 10 years, I lived a life that was not honoring to God. It wasn't honoring to God's principles. And there was pain and there was heartache. Yeah, there were some things that were fun. And the Bible says that like sin's good for a season because then like you feel that pain. 
So moving forward, I had one failed engagement. I was engaged to get married. That did not work out. Um, I turned to all the wrong things to cope with those things, to drinking, partying, girls, all the things, again, the earthly pleasures uh, of what I turned to. Then about 10 years later, I still remember this, I, was, I used to live near the oceanfront, and I would go running at the beach. I was running at the beach, and of all the things that God would use to be like, hey, Brian, convict me of my sin, I was reminded of Job. I'm sure you guys have heard about Job. Quickly, Job was a man that was um, loved God, and Satan basically said, hey, God, he would not praise you if I took his house away, if I took his money away, if I took his kids away, if I took his health away. And God allowed Satan to take these things away from Job. So Job only had his, his life and his wife. And there was a moment where Job says, Naked I came into the world, naked I leave. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And I had that moment on the beach. So again, just crazy. That's what the Lord used. Convict me of my sin. And I remember saying, all right, Lord, it's your turn. I'll turn it over to you. I'm failing everywhere. Instantly, there was a lot of sin that was removed from my life. So thankful for that. Also, as you guys know, it's, it's a journey, right? Uh, sanctification, I'm not perfect. I still struggle with sins. There's still sins I thought I was done with that I still struggle with and ones that I'm like, I didn't even know that I struggle with that sin. But all that to say that he changed me. Um, I got discipled. I started living for Jesus. I met my wife. We had four kids. We're serving in the church. My wife leads a co-op where 90 people come here. Uh, I'm just so thankful for the change that God had in my life. So again, I share that with you. There was a time that I sat where you were, and I did not know Jesus, and I did not live for him. Let me pray, and then we're going to get into Philippians. Lord, I just thank you for this chance to come speak at the High School Students. Lord, I just pray that you show up, because nothing that I could say would be able to mean anything without you showing up. Lord, I just pray that you'd use this broken vessel to speak your word, Lord, to reach those that are lost in this room, to reach those that just need encouragement, Lord, and more than anything, that I'd get out of the way and that your words would speak. Amen. All right, guys, so we're going to be in... Philippians 3, 12 through 21. I am going to invite you guys to stand, not because there's any magic in standing, but just in honor of God's word, I'm going to invite you guys to do that. If you prefer to sit, that's fine too. So again, Philippians 3, we're going to be in verses 12 through 21. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press forward towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. All right, guys, you guys can have a seat. Thank you. 
we're going to dive into that, guys. So verse 12, Paul says, not that I've already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. So this should be refreshing for us because as you guys have been going through Philippians, you probably know about Paul and some quick things about Paul is he wrote half the New Testament. Paul was somebody that actually used to persecute, round up Christians, throw them in jail. He was even there, played a part in Christians being killed. But Jesus changed him and used him to reach Gentiles, non-Jewish people, to spread the gospel. So this is refreshing because Paul's saying, like, if anyone had a chance to say, hey, I have arrived, it's Paul. Paul's saying, I have not arrived. We haven't arrived. It's his journey. So it's refreshing to hear him say that. I love what he says next. He said, I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Paul never forgot Jesus laying hold of him. So as we kind of talked about, Paul was someone, his name was actually Saul. He was a Pharisee. He was a moral person. The Pharisees had to know the Torah. They lived a morally life on the outside. But Paul was spiritually bankrupt. He did not believe Jesus was the Savior. And he round up Christians to kill them. He threw them in jail. He threw them out of the synagogues. Back then, if you were thrown out of the synagogue, you couldn't buy or sell. You basically had no job. You had no way to support you or your family. So Saul, in a fit of rage, was on his way to Damascus to actually round up more Christians. He had the blessing of religious leaders. Like, yep, you can go to Damascus, get the Christians, throw them in jail. They're following Jesus. So let's read about that. This is going to be in Acts 9, guys. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus, who you are persecuting. It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So he, so he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? Then the Lord said to him, Arise and go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The light of the Lord blinded him, and as he traveled on, he had to rely on his companions. As instructed by Jesus, Saul continued to Damascus to make contact with a man named Ananias, who was hesitant at first to meet Saul because he knew Saul's reputation as an evil man. But the Lord told Ananias that Saul was a chosen instrument to carry his name before the Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, and would suffer for doing so. Ananias followed the Lord's instruction and found Saul, on whom he laid hands and told him of a vision of Jesus Christ. Through prayer, Saul received the Holy Spirit, regained his sight, and was baptized. Don't miss this. Saul immediately went into the synagogues and proclaimed Jesus as the Son of God. A week earlier, Saul was in, the syn- in these synagogues persecuting Christians, throwing them in jail, and playing a part in having them murdered. A week later, he was changed by Jesus, and he's proclaiming that Jesus is the Son of God. Paul was changed. Paul was never satisfied with Paul but Paul was satisfied in Jesus. So in verse 13, Paul talks about forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So Paul's talking about two things here. He's talking about forgetting his past. I shared a little bit about Paul's past. It's obvious probably why he wanted to forget some of that. Anyone here that would like to forget anything from their past? couple hands all right well it's good to hear some of you guys being honest so um but i say that because there are things that i'd like to forget from my past but when 
we surrender to the Lord, he doesn't change our past. We don't forget that. He changes us, and he rewrites our future. Paul's also suggesting to forget everything so he didn't rely on his past successes. <clears throat> so what, what I believe he's speaking about here and how it relates to us is not relying on things that we've done in the past for Christ. So maybe there was that moment you prayed faith in Jesus or that time you prayed for a stranger or that time you did something for in the community or you served in the church or you went on a missions trip. Paul encourages us not to um, be satisfied with that, but to continue on towards the goal. Paul also uses the metaphor of a marathon for the Christian life. So what we know about a marathon is the first couple miles are not that hard. It's the last few miles that are very difficult. Paul's saying to not look back, but to keep looking ahead at the finish line, the prize of one day standing before Jesus and hearing, well done, good and faithful servant. That reminds me, uh, when I played sports in high school, one of the sports I played was soccer. And I come from the era where, when I was younger, everyone did not get a trophy, right? So probably through junior high, you only got a trophy if you got first or second. And second wasn't even something to brag about. So when I got to high school, it started to be a little bit where everyone gets a trophy. Well, high school soccer, my coach did not think like that. Uh, we played our first couple games. We're winning. We're doing great. And there was something different about him. Great coach, taught us all week, encouraged us. But at the end of every game, this always struck me. He'd always be like, you get in the locker room, we're ready to celebrate. And he'd be like, all right, guys, if you said good game or, hey, I saw you did this and this good. Now we need to focus on next week. He would, he would always say, Forget this game, move on to next week, and start focusing there. That's what Paul is telling us to do with our Christian walk. In verse 15, Paul tells us, Therefore, let us, many as are mature, have this in mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Those who are really mature will have this in mind. If they do not, Paul trusted that God would reveal the necessity of having it. Paul had a great trust in the ability of the Lord to deal with his own people. He didn't have the attitude that if he failed to convince them, that they would never be convinced. In 17, Paul says, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us. <coughs> While Paul was not sinless, he was not perfect, he was a good example. The example of Paul's life was so obvious that people could follow it and know how to follow Christ. I also like how Paul says here, us. He's not saying that he's the only example to follow, that there's people in Paul's life and in his circle that are also following Jesus, and people can follow them as well. It's important to note during this time, there was no New Testament. There was no gospel. So this is a way that people knew how to follow Christ. Could this be said about you? Could this be said about me? If someone saw our example, would they know what it means to follow Christ? Not a perfect example, but a good example. So you guys have probably heard it said that you're the only Bible that someone will see. It's kind of a cliche thing. Most of you probably heard it. If you haven't heard it, now you heard it. Um, why that's very important. Why I think more important now than probably in my whole lifetime. And this past January, they did a poll of how often people read their Bibles. So, And what it found is that 39% of people read their Bibles three or more times throughout the year. That included Christians in America. So that means six out of ten people are never opening a Bible, probably never going to church. So that's why I encourage you to be a good example. In verse 18, 
Paul says, for many walk of whom I have told you often, and now I tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So who are enemies of the cross? People who walk contrary to Jesus' teachings, people that oppose the gospel. I think the interesting thing about this, guys, if you went out on the street or went to school tomorrow and said, hey, are you an enemy of the cross? I actually think most people would say no. They wouldn't say, oh, yeah, I'm an enemy of God. I'm an enemy of the cross. But here are some examples of people that are enemies of the cross. People who are not born again, opposite of legalistic, celebrate their supposed liberty in Christ to indulge in anything, known sin, have deeper interest in worldly affairs rather than living for Christ, are opposed to the doctrines and the scriptures, the idea that good people go to heaven contrary to Jesus paying it all on the cross. Are you weeping for those who are enemies of the cross? Are you weeping for your classmates? Are you weeping for your teammates? Are you weeping for your neighbors? Are you weeping for your friends and your family that don't know Christ? I pray that Jesus puts it on your heart to uh, encourage these people and be the person that he uses to tell them about him. In verse 19, Paul says, These people whose end is destruction whose God is their belly, and whose glory is, is, is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. The things they take pride in are the things that will bring disgrace or humiliation to them, things of which they should never have been ashamed. The world celebrates these things, guys. Belly means appetite for earthly pleasures and will never leave you full. In verse 20, Paul says, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here Paul presents a direct contrast to verse 19. The eager desire of Christians is not earthly things, but a heavenly person, the Savior, Jesus. Guys, chasing after earthly things will leave you empty. Chasing after Jesus will leave you full. In verse 21, Paul says, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Our bodies are now weak and susceptible to sin, disease, and death, but one day God will change our bodies to resemble Christ's glorious resurrected body. That's glorification. In closing, guys, I encourage you to stand firm. Don't look back and press on. Don't chase after earthly things. Chase after Jesus. And for those of you that have never accepted the gospel, don't put it off. This might be the last time that you hear it. So let me pray, and then we're going to go to small group. Lord, again, I just thank you for this time to come here and speak, Lord. I pray that you would take your word and penetrate our hearts, Lord. Help guide the discussion in small groups, Lord. Help guide us as we go forward to this week. More than anything, Lord, I just pray that the students here know they're not alone and they can have a hope in you no matter what they're going through, Father. Thank you for this time to speak. Thank you for the leaders of this student ministry, Lord. Thank you for this church that boldly proclaims the name of Jesus. I pray that you be with us through the week. Amen.